I'm doing something today that I have never done before. I am actually preaching the same sermon at two different times at two different churches. Actually, I'm being filmed <laughs> doing that, which gives a whole new meaning to the concept of a circuit rider. Uh, a circuit rider, in case you don't know, is somebody like my great uncle, who years ago in rural Delaware and Maryland, he used to get in his car and drive to three to four to five different Methodist churches every Sunday to preach a sermon. That was what a circuit rider is, and I bet he would really appreciate YouTube these days. But anyway, here we are, and both churches are really close to my heart. First Presbyterian Church of Oakland and Piedmont Community Church. I served for six years as a pastor at First Press before I came up here 17 years ago, and I've been helping First Presbyterian Church go through a transitional time for a lot of the last two or three years as well. So it's a real privilege to be here. But before we get to the scripture lesson uh, today, I need to state the obvious, that we've all been going through a really stressful, anxious, confusing time this last week. And it just so happens that because we tape this worship service a couple days before Sunday, a whole lot can happen between the time I'm saying this and the time you're hearing it. I just acknowledge that and uh, want you to know that as if it needed stating. That's just the way it is when we try to have worship during a global pandemic and get it online. But even so, I know that we can still get the lesson that God has for us today, no matter what happens in an election. So let's listen now for God's word to us from the Gospel of Mark, the seventh chapter. I'm continuing my sort of mini sermon series here on passages from the middle of the Gospel of Mark. And this passage, one of my favorites, is also a very central transitional part in the Gospel of Mark. So hear now God's word to us today. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and she bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, and he said to her, Let the children be fed first. For it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, For saying that you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Holy God, we pray that you'll grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world this day as best we can. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story I just read takes place down at the shore, or down the shore as they say in New Jersey. It's at the beach. Did you catch that? It's in an area by the Mediterranean Sea between the cities of Sidon and Tyre that the Romans called Syrian Phoenicia. And today, that same area is in Lebanon. And Jesus goes down there to the beach after spending months and months and months of teaching and preaching and healing and performing all sorts of miracles back in Galilee. And he has been swamped the whole time by crowds. They want stuff from him. They want healing. They want liberation. They want all the sorts of stuff that they expect from someone they may see as their Messiah. He's exhausted, and he needs to uh, reconnect with God and to recharge his soul. And so he gets away. He chooses a place where he can be more or less anonymous, Uh, so that people aren't coming to him all the time. It's on the other side of the border, the border that separated the Gentiles and the Jews. He's now in a place where it's Gentile territory, and there are very few Jews around him, if any at all. And then, just as he is starting to wind down, this Gentile woman shows up asking him to heal her daughter to perform a miracle. It doesn't seem to matter to her that Jesus is a Jew, just that he can heal her daughter. And so she comes, she falls at his feet, and in doing that, she breaks all sorts of social rules, even laws in her own culture. Because just like the woman that we heard about last week in the gospel who came and touched Jesus' clothing after suffering from bleeding for 12 years, this woman breaks the rules. She comes up to him, and here's the thing. First, in both the Jewish and Gentile cultures of her time, no woman in her right mind would ever approach a man that she didn't know or wasn't part of her family unless she'd been invited. And even if she'd been invited, it was kind of dicey. And second... She's a Gentile, not a Jew. And in her culture, to enter a place where a Jew is staying would have been taboo. Her own people saw Jews as uh, unscrupulous aliens. And to a Jew like Jesus, this Syrophoenician woman and her daughter, they were impure. They were unclean. As unclean as it gets, they were dirty as dogs. And so it's important for us to remember that those words are important. Um, Because in those days, most people, especially Jews, saw dogs as potentially valuable tools that could help you uh, in uh, being a shepherd or could help you in... Uh, keeping your town or your your village or your stuff safe from intruders. But for the most part, people didn't see dogs as man's best friend back in those days. They didn't keep them as pets. 
They were basically scavengers that ran in packs together outside the village and would just rummage through the garbage. So all that's in the background for when Jesus says to the woman, let the children first be fed, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Sounds kind of harsh. Got to admit, doesn't sound like the, the uh, sweet Jesus that a lot of us were brought up to think about, but that's what he says. But beyond the, the, just the words of what he says, there's a powerful symbolic meaning in that statement. Because to Jesus, the children are the children of Israel, the Jews. And the bread is the healing and the salvation that God promises to give to the chosen people. Again, the Jews. It's not to be shared with dogs like the Gentile woman and her little girl. But even that doesn't stop her. And with some serious chutzpah and smarts, she says to Jesus, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus responds tenderly. For saying that, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. The little girl's healed. And that interaction between the Syrophoenician woman and Jesus and the words they use together, all of that changes history. Because in that moment, Jesus himself goes through what you could call a conversion experience. He's a product of his own culture as a human being, so he sees foreigners like every other Jew probably saw foreigners, at least to some degree, but his eyes are opened to see a beloved child of God in this woman where all he could see before was a dog. As it turns out, as I said, this passage is a turning point in the entire gospel. It's a shift both in terms of Jesus' self-identity as a Jew and in his sense of the wideness of God's mercy. Because up to this point, it seems he, he saw his mission as uh, basically being to the Jews first and then to other people. But now he realizes that divine healing and mercy and forgiveness and justice and grace and love is open. It's open to be shared with everyone and anyone at any time. And that's a big deal. So, what does it mean to us today? Well, it's been said that a missionary is someone who crosses boundaries to share the gospel. And I love that quote because whatever you think of the word missionary and whatever you think it means to share the gospel, one of the things it means to share the gospel is to live your life in such a way that you are sharing the bounty 
of God's mercy and healing and love with other people by your actions, not just your words. And so I think that quote, a missionary is someone who crosses boundaries to save the gospel, I think that's a pretty good definition of what it means to be a Christian too. A follower of Jesus is called, and more than that, we are empowered by the Spirit to cross the divide. Wherever we go in our lives, we are to open our eyes to the image of God that exists in everybody else and to let them know we are Christians by our love. Pretty sure you've heard those words before. You probably sung them also, maybe even this morning, in a well-known hymn. But let's put this all into context, to our own context. Because right now, in our communities, in our society, in our nation, we are about as divided as I can ever remember in my whole lifetime. To be clear, not all divisions are bad. Some of them are necessary. Since we human beings evolved in such a way that we separate ourselves into communities that view the world in the same way. That's how we are enculturated. That's how we learn to speak and learn to interact with people and learn social mores and the way to behave in this world. <clears throat> but there are also times when you just divide from other people because it's the right thing to do. You take a stand apart from the crowd and you go off and, and join another group and you connect in solidarity with like-minded people in order to pursue justice or peace or what's right for society, human flourishing. So not all divisions are bad, but it's clear that something has changed in recent years. Or maybe we're just becoming more and more aware of what was already happening. Can't avoid it. Large groups of people just can't seem to agree on anything. And when that happens, not a whole lot of anything positive gets done. And when that happens on a large scale, at the level of a whole society or a nation, that division gets toxic. A book was published earlier this year, right before coronavirus hit, entitled, Why We're Polarized by Ezra Klein. And he says that what we have now in our society is an institutionalized system uh, that both causes polarization and flourishes because of it. It's like a feedback loop. Polarization happens, it causes more polarization, and guess what, we become more polarized. It's in social media, it's in marketing, and it's in politics at all levels. It's even around the, uh, the family dinner table, whether it's Thanksgiving or any other day. And Ezra Klein writes this, toxic systems compromise good individuals with ease. They do so not by causing us to betray our values, but by enlisting our values such that we betray each other. In other words, the system exists in large part 
by polarizing us between some idealized version of us and some vilified version of them. So given that, what is a follower of Jesus supposed to do? Well, first, you have to pay attention. You have to acknowledge the depth of the problem. You can't just put your head in the sand and ignore it. Go back to the way things used to be when everybody was together. And, you know, it's not going to be some simple, saccharine, kumbaya moment where everybody gets together and holds hands and everything's going to be fine either. You've got to take this seriously. Second, we can pray. I mean, don't underestimate the power of committed, continual, communal prayer. Because that's how we plug into the spiritual power that we're going to need if we're going to do what God wants us to do, to, to seek justice and love kindness and walk humbly with our God and with each other. And finally, we can recognize that the source of a lot of the bad stuff that divides us now and at any other time in human history, the source is fear. We're afraid of losing control, safety, power, opportunity, freedom, the list goes on and on and we seek groups that have the same sense of grievance that we do and then we ally together against everybody who's trying to take advantage of us or put us down. We fear the unknown even with all of our celebrated advances in knowledge and technology and science, and maybe what we know the least about these days are the values, the ideas, and the people we disagree with on important issues. And that's why we established a program here at PCC, Piedmont Community Church, uh, called Living Room Conversations. We invite people with varying political perspectives, people inside and outside of the church, to gather in groups of five or six people on a Zoom call, and we have a guided conversation. The guides are trained in how to help people uh, talk about, respectfully, a significant issue that we disagree about, like politics and religion, or what is fake news, or what does it mean to be free, or how should we deal with coronavirus as a society? And I can assure you we'll have some more of those online conversations before too long. The core idea is to listen respectfully to each person's story around the table or in those little Zoom squares. It's to listen to the why beneath their unique understanding of an issue. We get to know each other a bit better in the process, and I think that that kind of knowing that comes from listening and being vulnerable together, in that kind of knowing, we glimpse a bit of the divine that's within each one of us. In a safe environment, we learn not to fear one another, and we get to practice what we hear about in the New Testament book of 1 John, where it says, 
This is how we know that we are in God and God is in us, by loving one another. And there is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear. You know, the other day I saw an awesome article in the online version of the New York Times. I know some of you probably saw this too. It was a series of photos of uh, the contents inside people's refrigerators. Each photo had their fridge open and you could see what somebody had in there, all their stuff. And there were, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 of these pictures. And your job, it was kind of a quiz, your job was to try to figure out just by looking at the contents of a fridge, whether the person who owned that fridge was a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter. And I loved it because I was so terrible at it. I just couldn't figure it out to save my life. And I realized the ridiculous, how ridiculous and futile it is to assume that you can know what a person thinks or feels simply by relying on certain ideas that you have about who they are and what they do and where they live. It was a great exercise because it used maybe the most basic element of human life, what we eat, what we choose to give us nutrition, to feed us, and to give us maybe a sense of comfort too. And it struck me that aside from me not storing huge jugs of iced tea in my own refrigerator, there's not much that really divides me from anyone else at that most basic level. And maybe that's the place to start. Cross the divide. Maybe something as basic as food or something as universal as a mother's instinct to do whatever she can, to break rules even, to seek healing for her daughter. Maybe that can open us up to seeing what we share with other people and not just what keeps us apart. I'm not saying it's going to be that easy, but each one of us has to start somewhere. And the time to start is now. So, in memory of the woman who came to Jesus and inspired by the wide horizon of his mission of healing, let's cross the divide in Oakland, Piedmont, and wherever else God sends us in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.